Hello, and welcome to the Feminine Empowerment Project podcast. I am really excited that you've decided to join me today. We have a really exciting topic, something that I really love talking about. And today we will be talking about Eve, the mother of all living. So we are starting in the beginning with the women of Christianity. And you'll notice a common theme about how Christianity approaches any woman in scripture or even the topic of women in general. They are seen as weak, submissive, subservient, and, and really, if we're being honest, unimportant. And in the case of Eve, Christianity believes that she is a foolish woman who was beguiled by Satan and who actually ruined the entire plan of the omnipotent God of the universe. So I know that sounds really dramatic, but the thought of such a thing is in fact dramatic. First of all, if a woman can actually ruin an omnipotent God's plan without God's ability to even foresee such a thing shows quite a bit of how much power that little woman and a simple decision had. But let's delve into this story a little bit and see if maybe there was a little distortion of this story by men who were interpreting and translating this story who wanted to hide the true power that God had bestowed upon women. I think you're really going to love this um, podcast today, and I think you're going to be really pleasantly surprised at the information that we talk about today. So let's begin in the Garden of Eden. It is important to note that the word Adam is not a gender-specific like name. It likely comes from the word Adam, or red, meaning dirt or earth, from which the first human was created. A better, more direct translation of this would be earthling, not man. Rabbinic texts and medieval Jewish commentaries actually state that the first human was androgynous, and bear with me here. Thus, God divided the first human into male and female. The beautiful thing about this is that they were created as an equal being, separated into two distinct beings, and then in the procreative act, they again come back together as one. And I just think this is such a beautiful depiction of the absolute equality of men and women and actually the need of each of them we, we cannot have um, a successful world in any way without both of them. So the word Adam used in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 is actually not specifically male or female in the original text and would be best translated as human until the second being is created. So in Genesis 2 verse 21, God actually removes one side which I find to be more fitting than the popular biblical translations where they use the word rib. This occurs to form the second individual, obviously. So the original word that is used here is spelled T-S-E-L-A. And this word was mistranslated as rib for centuries. This word does not mean rib at all. It actually means side or leaf. This word is used in other places in the Old Testament and was translated correctly, but in this instance it was mistranslated into rib, so that's very important to understand. 
There is a poetic meaning of the word sila that beautifully depicts the connection, equality, and relation between men and women. Think of French doors that both open out. Each door is a sila. Both are necessary to make up the whole. So the term helpmeet in the Bible suggests that a man and a woman are two sides of one whole. Often in Christian tradition, men have decided that the creation order dictated that men were more important than women, right? This is simply not justified by the original text. God actually took the entire side to make the woman, not just a rib. When seen in this context, we realize that both are equal and one side to the whole. Both made equally in the image of God, they are identical in purpose, ruling the earth, and mutual in relationship. So if you think of a leaf, and there's that kind of little center rib down the center, and the leaf looks like a mirror on either side, it was like a separation of those two sides from the whole to create each of them. So they are very much depicted as equal in the original text versus what has been translated. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, we see that it indicates that these first humans were once one flesh, as it states, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This statement indicates that it was far more than just a rib as well. We then have the introduction of male and female distinct words, but only after the two beings were created. So before they were created, there, there were not in the original texts the distinction between male and female. But once the two were created, we have the word Isha for the woman and the word Ish for the men. And just realize I may not completely pronounce these words correctly, but I'm doing the best that I can. So this is the first time we see gender-specific words used. Now we move into another key part of this story where Christianity also states that Eve was a mere helper to Adam, or sometimes the word helpmeet is used. And it is often indicated that she is in a lesser role or subservient to Adam. But is this really what the original text indicated? I bet you can guess what I'm going to say, right? The noun that was originally used, and I am not going to pronounce this correctly, so I'm just going to spell it, is E-Z-E-R, first word, second word, K-E-N-E-G-D-O, okay? There are many translations of this word in various versions of the Bible, but let's break this down. This particular word can either mean an assistant in a subordinate role, which is what Christianity has decided, and this is how they chose to view it, but hang on there. This same noun was also used in Psalms 54 verse 4 and in Hebrews 54 verse 6, where it is talking about God as a helper. Obviously, this word was not indicating that God is subordinate to man, right? We know that. So this noun can actually mean an expert or a superior helper, as in the case that we just talked about, when it's talking about God as a helper. But it can also mean a, a subservient helper as well. How do we know, know what was meant by this word in relation to Eve? Well, there's a little trick here. It's very simple, actually. The translators or interpreters left out one very important part of this word, the modifying prepositional phrase that is used only 
in this place in the Bible. So we take this word that could mean subservient helper or an expert helper, and we add a modifying prepositional phrase in only this place. And guess what that modifying prepositional phrase changes this word helper to? It means equal. So when you leave that out, you lose the true meaning of it. This phrase would be more adequately translated as an equal helper. The reality is that the original text indicates absolutely no hierarchical relationship between Adam and Eve at all. It is actually mistranslations and interpretations meant to demean the role of women that have changed the true meaning of the Bible. I know many of my Christian friends who believe that the Bible is as currently written in English is the literal word of God, inerrant word of God. But I would have to submit to you that English was not the original language that the Bible was written in, and female biblical scholars have now found extensive misinterpretations and misrepresentations to favor the superiority of men that go against the original text and the original meanings. So as it was originally written, absolutely yes, it was the inerrant word of God. But we have had men doing a lot of things to this, and I am sorry to tell you, but they have absolutely changed meanings. So another aspect of this story that traditional Christianity fails to understand is that God is omnipotent or all-powerful, omniscient or all-knowing, omnipresent or ever-present. Are we truly to believe that an all-knowing God could create a plan that could be so easily thwarted by God's own creation? Let me submit to you that Eve partaking of the fruit was actually part of God's plan. So let's go through this. Genesis 2 verse 15. We are told here that God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and tend it. In verse 16, God commands the man not to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now in this place it's calling, it is saying man. So in verse 16, the command is given not to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but verse 17 is when the woman is taken from the side and created. So she had actually not been created when this verse was given. Just an interesting point for you to consider. Eve had to figure out that she was supposed to eat of the fruit, while Adam was told not to because, as we will see later, it is by Eve's authority that this was to happen. So Adam was told not to, but Eve was not. And there's a reason for that. So we need to understand that Adam and Eve in this context in the Garden of Eden are living in absolute innocence, as like childlike innocence. They have no knowledge of right or wrong. They have no knowledge of good or evil. We're thinking very childlike. Okay, so this is their childlike condition that they are living in. Do we have children in a childlike condition? I think we can all agree no. Okay. They do not experience physical pain or suffering. They do not experience any emotional suffering. They're just living in total innocence. This may seem like a blissful state, which it absolutely was. However, we must understand that in this childlike state, nothing can be learned through experience. We have to experience the full range of feeling and emotion in order to learn, grow, develop, and even make choices. 
if we don't know good from evil and if evil cannot be done, how, do, how can we choose good? If we do not know of Satan, how can we choose God? There is no choice there. Because if, it, if there is no Satan, then there is no ability for us to choose God for ourselves, right? So part of God's plan was for us to use agency. You cannot use agency if you don't have the ability to choose one from the other. We had to be given the opportunity to choose for ourselves to follow God or to follow Satan. And in this state, in the Garden of Eden, that was not available. We must also learn mastery over our mortal human form. As we have a range of emotions, we must learn mastery over them. For example, when I feel anger, I need to learn to not physically harm others. I need, also need to learn how to bridle my tongue so I do not emotionally harm others with my words. Adam and Eve now had mortal bodies in almost a holding pattern where they really did not experience true emotion or even the ability to learn anything. We know this because we are told that the tree is the tree of first knowledge and then of good and evil. These are two things that are critical in our being able to use agency and choose whom we will serve. The statement in Joshua 24 verse 15, we use our own agency to choose God. Adam and Eve cannot do this until they have the knowledge of good and evil. We can also note that while they live in this state, no children are born. So there were no children born in the Garden of Eden, and there's a reason for that. We see in verse 24 that God tells them to be one flesh, which as we know would bring children into being. In verse 25, we become aware that in their innocence, they are both naked and are unashamed. Again, this is indicating to us, this is a very innocent, childlike state. They really, at this point, do not have that desire toward one another for sexual intimacy because it is not par a part of this innocent preparatory state and therefore no children can be born here. Eden is a preparatory state as the woman has the power and authority over the creation of life. And as we will see later, which was given to her by God, she must be the one who sees the need to partake of the forbidden fruit. She has to be the one to recognize that this sacrifice is necessary to gain knowledge and progress in God's plan. Remember, she had not been commanded not to eat it, specifically. Eating of the forbidden fruit allows Eve to become wise, knowing good from evil. What most of Christendom gets wrong is that this was a necessary step in humanity. They had to move from a childlike state to basically like maturity, where they were then having intimate desires towards one another and they knew good from evil, and they were able to then bring children into the world. We are led to believe that she was tricked, and she was foolish. But this is actually not the case at all. In verse 6, Eve realizes that the tree was good and was desirable to make her wise. This is correct. This is the truth. And we all know, what does Satan do? He mixes truth with lies. She sees the truth that it was good and desirable, that she needed to gain this knowledge in order to progress. Eve is seeing this, okay? 
It is not the serpent that tricked her. It is that she became aware that this was necessary in their progression in order to, for her to gain the knowledge to progress. And so she ate of the fruit. It is critical to understand that it is a woman who has authority over the power of creation. And so it was Eve who saw the need to take this step. Adam was perfectly happy to live in bliss and never progress and never have children. None of us would ever be here. They would have just stayed in this preparatory state forever. It was actually Eve who recognized this, this step that then elicited the fall had to take place. This step was necessary that as we are all born, we have the knowledge of good and evil in order to navigate this world. In the world of Eden, there was no birth of any children, as children cannot be born in innocence. Eve had stewardship or authority over the bringing of life into the world, and when she recognized that she must eat of this fruit in order to know good from evil and to bring about God's plan, she ate of the fruit willingly and knowingly what she was doing. Probably not fully understanding what the world was going to be like and the suffering that would be there, but she knew... um, that this was a necessary step. So we note in chapter 3, verse 7, quote, that their eyes were opened, okay? We do not give this simple quote enough thought when we read this. This very statement that their eyes were opened is the very reason that Eve had to do this. Innocence had to be shed. They saw their nakedness like a child reaching the age where they become aware of their own nakedness and no longer rock around the house naked in front of anybody that shows up at the door. We all have seen this in our own children. The little toddlers running around, they're not ashamed of anything. They're not, they don't have any sexual inclination of anything. They're just innocent children. And all of a the sudden, their eyes are opened and they are maturing. Do we see what's happening? This is a necessary step in maturity that eventually also leads to sexual maturity where intimacy and ultimately the birth of mankind can actually occur. The eating of the fruit was necessary for this maturity to happen so all mankind could be born. And I want to note here that from the time Eve was created until verse 3, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 20, she was actually called woman. After she had eaten the fruit and her eyes were opened, where she achieved maturity as a woman, she is now called Eve, which means the mother of all living. She could not become the mother of all living until she ate the fruit. Do you understand? This is why she was not called Eve until after she ate the fruit, because she would, was unable to become the mother of all living, until that step was taken and then the name was given. We are missing the real truth because we simply read text without actually noticing what God is trying to tell us. Eve took the necessary step to move from being a female child into full maturity where she could become the mother of all living. This is a beautiful blessing upon Eve, showing her courage, her wisdom, and her authority. In God's instruction to Adam and Eve, after they have partaken of the fruit, most of us perceive this as a curse. It sounds a little bit harsh. I understand that. We see this angry God pronouncing punishment on this couple for their sin. Okay? What if this is not actually what is happening? 
What if we are actually projecting our own anger onto God and thinking that God will react like a human parent who is angry with a child? Because I would have to submit to you that we worship a loving God. And yes, we obviously there are consequences for our choices, but I would have to submit to you that God would speak to us in a loving way and letting us know what those consequences are. So let's take a step back and maybe see these verses as instructive rather than punishing an angry God and see if that changes these verses for you. So in Genesis chapter 3 verse 14, God is speaking to Satan or the, Satan or the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock. So this is the only cursing that happens, and it is to Satan at this point. It is important to note that he is not cursed because of Eve recognizing her role in progressing and partaking of the fruit. It is because of his own sin of lying to Eve and telling her that she will not surely die. Because we know as soon as Eve takes that fruit, she will die. And so he is actually tempting her and and lying and telling her that she will not die. The serpent did not have the ability to know that partaking of the fruit was a necessary step. Satan doesn't know God's plan. He thought he was tempting her to sin against God, and therefore he is the one that committed the sin and is cursed. And we see in verse 15 that God makes enemies of Satan and Eve and all of her descendants or all of her posterity. This verse is telling us of the crucial importance of the woman, her power of creation and her children, and how Satan would be their enemy. This is both instructive to Eve about who her enemy is and is also a cursing to Satan. So that's what's happening here. And then let's look at verse 16 as instructive rather than a punishment, okay? God is telling Eve, now that she is able to become a mother in her maturity, God is telling her, my daughter, this is going to be a painful and difficult process. It will not be like the bliss that you've been living in in Eden. This is not a condemnation. This is just God helping her to understand what her experience in the new world is going to be like. See how that changes this from this mean, harsh God to more of this loving God? In current biblical translations, it appears that God is condoning the idea that a man has authority over a woman. This is merely a mistranslation again. So let's look at this. We have to realize that the traditional translations have distorted the meaning of these verses. And we have to read this in the context of its social association in life in the uh, early world. Okay. We often read in common translations, quote, I will greatly multiply your pain or pangs in childbearing. Oops. The original word that was used here has absolutely nothing to do with pain or pangs. has nothing to do with that. If we are taking this word in context, the word is itzvon, uh, I-T-Z-A-V-O-N, okay? The correct translation of this word is work. And guess what? This is the exact same word used for God's statement to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19. So they both are equally going to have work. This is not that she has one and, you know, she's more condemned than him. Nope, same word was used. The man will experience work all the days of his life. She will experience work in having and raising children. And it is said to both of them equally. 
It is also important to note that the original word does not translate into the act of childbearing. The actual word just means pregnancy or the condition of being pregnant. Very different. So here Adam and Eve are learning that she will have children and both of them will work as equal partners in life. Again, that equal partner word is used again. This is the original intention and meaning of these verses, but it has been distorted by male English translators. The notion that there is to be male dominance in verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. A lot of women don't like this verse. I totally get it. Let's fix it. This is a flat out distortion of the meaning of this text. Okay, let me say that again. This is a flat out distortion of the meaning of this text. This has nothing to do with a man ruling over a woman in general life. Okay, in the original context of this verse, the meaning is related to Eve having children or having multiple pregnancies. So think about it this way. Her desire will be to her husband. What, what are we saying here? We are saying in a very polite biblical way that she is going to have sexual desire for her husband now. She is being instructed again about intimacy and about the results of intimacy. That, that's, that's what this is. Okay, her desire to her husband is just about sexual desire here, okay? And it doesn't originally say sexual, I understand that, but I'm, I'm giving you context, okay? So, and the idea of him ruling over her again is related to the command to multiply and replenish the earth, not to male dominance, okay? So let me say this again. When it says that her desire will be for him, she's going to have sexual desire to him and he will rule over her only in multiplying and replenishing the earth, not overall male dominance. So we've kind of taken this out of context where it's talking about the intimate exchange between the two of them. And we're like, oh, that means men are dominant over women. I mean, of course, men think that, you know, it strokes their pride. It strokes their ego. They're going to pull that out and be like, I get to rule over you. I'm in charge. You have to do what I say. No, 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 no. Put your ego back in your pocket and let's actually look at this in the context in which it's given. Okay. So it's her desire for intimacy to be rejoined to him as one. The idea of him ruling over her is a very narrow meaning here. Only relating to sexuality, but has nothing to do with him male dominance type of a thing. This verse ha should never have been used as an excuse for men to say that they rule over women in any capacity. This is a gross exaggeration and a flat out distortion of the Bible and how God views men and women. So let's move on now to Eve becoming a mother. So in Genesis chapter 4, 1 and 2, Eve gives birth to Cain and Abel. And in the original meaning, Eve is said to have, quote, created a man together with the Lord. And that was kind of, that's in some of the translations. And it's very, very important to understand that the word for create used in this verse is the exact same word used in the Bible for the creative power of God when God created the earth. Let that sink in for a minute. The same word that was used when God created the earth is the same word being used here when Eve creates a child. It is the creative power of God. There is a bestowal of God's creative power on a woman to create life. 
That is powerful, okay? Traditional translations obscure this to say produced or gained a child with the help of the Lord and often use the term bear children, which demeans a woman's power and authority to just a mere mortal function. And this is an absolute misrepresentation of what was originally said. This is far more than a mortal function. This is a bestowal of authority over bringing life into the world as well as a bestowal of power to create life. This could be seen as similar to power given to Peter, James, and John to perform miracles and healing in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christ, right? This is another example of the bestowal of God's power to men and women on earth. We, we are given power to cast out demons in the name of Christ. We are given power to lay hands on people and to heal. This is all a bestowal of a little portion of God's power to use on earth to bless other people. And also women have been given this little portion of God's power within us so that we are able to create life. All of these little bits and pieces of God's power that we have access to through Jesus Christ and through the name Jesus Christ has been given us to bless our lives and also to bring life into this world. The words actually referenced earlier as created a man together with the Lord link Eve's creative power with that of God. And it is actually a power given to women from God. It has been demeaned through improper translation of biblical text. And we see men doing this all the time. And it really has not been until women have been educated and learning other languages, learning biblical languages and going through these things and actually seeing that the men have changed and kind of tweaked things to justify male dominance over women where it just was not given by God. And as we know... God is no respecter of persons, and both men and women have been treated equally by God from the very beginning of life on earth. It is men who have distorted God's word to fit their own narrative and to hold themselves as superior to women. My purpose in creating the Feminine Empowerment Project is to help women to begin to see their own power, their own authority, their own wisdom and purpose on earth outside of chauvinistic traditions. And I hope that that is what you will find here. Um, we will, in future episodes, we are going to be going over all kinds of amazing women in the Bible from prophetesses to deacons. Um, women that gave amazing prophecies, led armies, all kinds of amazing things. So stick around for that. But we'll also be talking about all areas of women's lives. We will be talking about uh, healing. So we'll be talking a lot about feminine energy and what that means. We will be talking about herbs and herbal healing and how we can heal ourselves through proper nutrition and utilizing herbs and using those for our families, using what God has provided for us in this world to heal ourselves and to heal our families. And we will be talking about um, all kinds of aspects related to women, feminine energy, the divine feminine. Um, so stick around. You are going to absolutely love what we have in store for you. It is going to change the way that you see yourself in Christianity. It will change the way that you see yourself in the world um, and change this whole narrative that men are in charge and women must be submissive and all this. It's just not, this is not what God intended. 
this was not what any of these scriptures were. And if this was kind of a little mind blowing to you, hold on to your hats because there's a lot more to come. We are going to go through the Pauline letters that are used to demand the submission of women. We're going to see where that came from and we're going to see how that has also been uh, misinterpreted and taken out of context in which it was said. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. And I appreciate you so much listening to this podcast and please let me know how you enjoyed it. You can go ahead and check out the website. We have a lot of women empowerment um, sessions. We have herbal healing programs for women. We have all kinds of programs for women on the website. So go ahead and check that out and I will see you next time.